I had it turned on. Is it working now? Yes. Uh, praise the Lord for Pastor John. Us technically challenged folks. Can't figure this out. Can I have some help? I don't like anything in front of me. Can I have some people move this off to the side for me, please? I'm a diva. I apologize for rearranging the sanctuary, but I just don't don't really like anything too in front of me. Well, since John didn't give me an introduction, I'll introduce myself for those of you who don't know me. You know, church etiquette, we just throw that out the window when John comes. So, no, my name's John. Um, most of you know me, of course, but those of you who don't, I just got back about almost two months ago from living in South America. I was living in Bogota, Colombia, where we went down to do a church plant, and it involved into the coffee shop. And so I just want to take a few minutes at the start, explain that, explain why I'm back. She's sitting back there, just a heads up. And, uh, and then we'll go into the message, because I'm not so much concerned with what happened in Colombia as much as I'm concerned with what's happening right now in this room. And so I want to get there, but let me first take a few moments to explain what happened in Colombia. So when we got to Columbia, January 19th, this year, uh, the Lord immediately began to press on our leaders um, how to do a a church plan. And we were struggling with it, and as we began to share our our vision for a church plan, as we began to share our vision for college campus ministries and English clubs that would help bring in people to to our gatherings, and then we would start using parables to teach English, um... It didn't seem to take. Nothing seemed to catch with our team. Nothing seemed to really take. And so we had had, at the end of our two-year plan, a coffee shop was to open to be our tent making, um, to provide funds for us to live there, to support us so that we would no longer have to raise support. But the Lord just sped that process up. And by May, we had already begun looking at architects and contractors to open up a coffee shop. And so it was just... A God thing, really, our, our leaders really felt that the Lord was opening that door for them because that was their main ministry, going to be for the 20-plus years that they'll live there. Because Stephanie, the wife, is Colombian, and Alex, her husband, have two kids. And so they moved back to Colombia to raise them there. So they're long-term missionaries. They're not looking ever to come back to the States unless the Lord just does a work in their hearts. And so they that's the coffee shop is their plan to provide for their family. And so we... Help them open that. Uh, my best friend Ryan is down there, and he's a part owner in that, and he runs coffee. And so this morning I was talking to Shane about grinders and, and how to roast coffee and stuff like that. And so really we spent a lot of time doing English clubs, um, coffee, our college ministry in the beginning, but we also spent a lot, a lot of times at coffee shops meeting people, talking about how to roast properly. And and really, it was really cool because if you know anything about the history of Colombia, since like the 1960s, they've been in a civil war. And so the, the FARC is a terrorist group that has come against the Colombian government. And they're, it's all kind of a battle for their cartel trade routes and stuff like that. And so it's really just devastating that country. But coffee and cacao, which is the like really fancy chocolate, is bringing that economy back. And so they just started peace treaty uh, process this year in Colombia with the FARC. And so that war is coming to an end, and we're seeing a rise in coffee and cacao. And so that's really bringing a lot of expats into the country. That's really bringing a lot of enterprise into the country. You need shipping companies. I mean, just tons and tons of 
new enterprises coming in. And so we wanted to partner in with what's already happening in Colombia by joining in with the coffee culture. And so we met so many people on a daily basis that we got to share, hey, why are you here? Not just open up a coffee shop. God called us here. And God called us to, to reach out through coffee because we see the nation's reputation changing through coffee. And so that was the heart of it is we opened up a coffee shop and this is really what we believed. Uh, I really believe this, that 90% of the people on Sunday mornings already know who Jesus Christ is. But you're not guaranteed that 90% of the people who walk into a, a business or a coffee shop know Jesus Christ. And so we wanted to go where the people want to be. Some people don't want to come into a church. It's just a, a, a struggle that church leaders are having today. But everybody loves to drink coffee. Not my fiance. She likes tea. But I like coffee, you know. And so as they came in, we would serve them a cup of coffee. We opened the doors to the coffee shop in August. And we started serving coffee immediately. We took barista classes. We got certified. We have the machines. We got the bar set up. Twig and I did a lot of construction. I spent a lot of late nights there laying in laminate floors and painting walls and floating stuff and sanding stuff. It was a lot of work, but we got the doors open in August, and I worked till mid-October um, in the coffee shop. And we saw two guys in particular, Herman and um, Sam was the other guy. They would come in, and they both worked as engineers, water well engineers. And we began to share the gospel with them just on a daily basis. And it was the first day they came in. We just got in a conversation, shared the gospel with them, and they came every single day from thereafter. They worked out of their home, so they loved bouncing from coffee shop to coffee shop. But once they found ours, every day they were in our coffee shop. And I was like, this is awesome. Every day I get an opportunity just to build that relationship with them, just to talk to them, see how their life's going, know them. Do they have kids? Do they have a wife? Do they have future plans? And then... At the end of my stay, right before Sam came to the States and I left, I was able to give both of them a Bible and they received it with, with gladness. And they started reading it and Herman immediately had questions for me. He's like, I read John 1. I don't understand what happened. Like, I don't understand the Bible. Can you show me? And I was like, yes, this is the whole reason Christians do the thing called Bible study. It's because we don't understand it and we need to study it, you know. And so now you understand why we're all gathered around tables and food all the time trying to talk about this book you know so um i came back because i also got engaged in august and so i felt like the lord said it's time to to settle down with my beautiful fiance bethany and so there was an opportunity for me to shift and uh, kind of transition out of the coffee shop pretty easily and twig my best friend ryan he's been here he spoke here before at living way he is still down there and he has had some awesome opportunities since I left. He joined a ministry that goes to the hospitals. And they just go and hang out with kids and play. And if you know Twig, that is like a fit for that guy. And then he also got involved in a church intern group that runs the youth group at an English-speaking Protestant church. There, It's the only one in Bogota. And so they outreach to the expat community in Bogota. It's the only one that expats can go to and hear the message or worship in their own heart language if they're from an English-speaking country. And it's one that if a Colombian native can speak fluent English, they're allowed to come as well. And so Tweek's partnered up with that, and, and he's doing really good. In the coffee shop, the business is starting to take off. After a couple months, opening a business is slow, but 
It really took, it's starting to take off now. And so if you're still interested in following them, they have socialcoffeehouse.com.co that you can check out um, and just follow what the coffee shop's up to. Or if you want to fundraise, if you want to give some funds to Twig because he is still needing to fundraise a little bit, you can talk to me after the service. I'd be glad to set you up with that. And I just ask that you guys continue to pray for that coffee shop because it really is a ministry that they get to work but also serve these people and to serve them with a cup of coffee every day and just say, I supply your daily need of energy and uh, I'm doing it through prayer and coffee at the same time, you know. So that's Columbia. Um, I'm, I just got back mid-October. Um, so I just wanted to give you guys an update of what's going on there. I don't have any plans right now to return um, just because Bethany and I are focusing on getting married first. We feel like that's a good step to take first before we start asking God where to place us. And so uh, we need to have the same heart and unity before um, before we can decide where we're going to be. And so that's hard for me because I typically just feel what God's asking me to do sometimes and do it. But now I have to co-labor with my future wife. And so pray for me. <laughs> pray for Bethany even more because she's going to need it. So, Well, let's just uh, jump in here. I don't know if this ever happens to you, Pastor John, but I'm sitting back there and you can ask Jake. The Lord drops a new message on me mid-worship. And uh, who knows where this is going to take us, but I want to take you guys first to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. We'll start, and I think the other message is going to fit nice and snug into this new one. But I want to add this new element. Uh, I can't take credit for it. I heard another pastor preach this revelation. I think it's amazing. But I want to start there, jump over to what I originally had, and then bring it back here. So Matthew 13, verse 44. I don't have it up on the screen. John asked me if I wanted to bring some, type up some verse. And I said, no, man, I want them to open the Bible, you know, and, and actually feel the leather on their skin. And, you know, I just prefer it. If you got your phone, that's fine too. Hopefully you got a leather phone case so you can still feel the leather on your skin. So, so. Matthew thirteen forty four. it's a very simple verse. It reads like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. I'm going to read that one more time just because there's so much packed into this one little verse. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. I'm sure you've heard a a sermon over this passage before. And I just want to start with the man. I don't know how much this treasure was. I don't know what he found. But it was enough for him to change everything. It was enough for him to say whatever he already had, whatever he already accomplished and worked years to get, he was willing to get rid of it for this. I don't know what your careers are, how long you went to school for that, or if you even went to school for that. I don't know how many hours you work a week. 
how, many, how much time you spend working on this one thing. But if God came up and said, this, this thing is the light of your life. It's your favorite hobby. It's, it's something that you value very much. And he said, hey, I have this. I need you to give up this first. How quick are you to do that? It's a simple concept, really. Would you trade something, a treasure, that you stumble upon for something that you work so hard for? You didn't earn this treasure. That's key. It found you. Would you trade it? We'll come back to that verse um, but I want to take us into the Old Testament for just a minute. In 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two and 23, you don't have to turn there. I recommend that you do. It helps with Bible retention and being able to recall uh, Bible verses. But 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two and 23 is a story right smack dab in the transition. It is the focal point that transitions us from the kingdom of Saul into the kingdom of David. And what had happened was Samuel had given Saul clear instructions from the Lord on what to do. And Saul didn't do it. He did his own thing. And so Saul or Samuel goes to Saul and he says this. He says, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is a sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And this is when Saul's life kind of took a turn for the worse. And David was anointed as the new king. It took 13 years before David took the throne. He served under Saul. He honored Saul because it was God's chosen. But he also knew that God had anointed him for a time and a purpose. And now, David, in our eyes, is the greatest king that Israel ever had. He is the man after God's own heart. And so I just want to focus on why is that true? Why is David the one considered the man after God's own heart? And it's this. Saul was thinking sacrifice. Literally, when he disobeyed God's commands, he kept the best animals to sacrifice to God. And that's why Samuel says, which is better, sacrifice or obedience? And so I just want to break those two down real fast. We go to sacrifice, and when you think about the Jewish rabbinical law, it's a system set up in place for you who are unclean or unholy or sinful to work yourself clean so that you can have relationship with God. And it's a system where sacrifice literally equals doing something. You have to do a ritual. You have to bring an animal and kill it. You have to go to the temple. You have to, you have to, you have to. You have to do this in order for you to become clean. In order for you to become holy. As God is holy. That is the whole message of Leviticus is be holy as God is holy. If you've ever looked at it in the Torah, it literally probably is the middle verse in the first five books of the Bible. Be holy as God is holy. And so this system was set up in place that sacrifice equals doing. I don't believe Saul was really trying to disobey God. I think he was being over eager in his obedience to, or 
obedience to God and trying to say, listen, I'll go above and beyond what God asked me to do. And I'll do extra and try to earn his approval of me. And I thought of this illustration to help you guys. Say I worked at GDL for Greg Long. Okay? I go in every morning. I'm the first one there. And I'm mopping the floors. And I'm redoing the inventory on the shelves. And I'm making all the phone calls and trying to help Caleb over there do sales. And I'm trying to help Jake run everything that he's got to run. All right? But I don't care if Jake gives me a compliment or if Caleb gives me a compliment. What I'm trying to do is get Greg to give me a compliment. And I'm trying to work really hard so Greg will notice me because he's the owner of that business. I think that's what Saul was trying to do in this scripture, that he was trying to work so hard to get God's approval and say, God, don't you see how much I'm striving for you? Don't you see how much I'm doing extra for you? I'm, I'm here an hour earlier. I'm mopping floors. I'm cleaning toilets. I'm making sales. I'm trying to be the friendliest customer representative we have just so that you'll notice me and accept me and be proud of me. But then David comes in and says, Lord, whatever you want of me, I'll do it. Whatever you ask of me, I'll do it. And when we get into obedience, obedience isn't a matter of doing to get approval. It's a matter of being in that relationship. There's a difference between working yourself into the approval of God and being in the approval of God. You see what I mean? So David comes in and he shifts gears. And he says, when the kingdom switched over to David, he was all about doing what God had asked him, or or being what God had called him to be, and that was the king of things. So when God asked him to bow and and pray, he did that. When God asked him to to be the kingdom and the, the man after God's own heart, he did that. Okay, so I just, this is what happens when the Lord messes you up and throws other scriptures and you get trying to weave things in the pattern. Obedience is a lifestyle that I don't think many Christians here live. And as I was praying for a living way, when John asked me about a week after, I guess, I came, there was many things that the Lord started speaking to me, and I didn't know how they connected. But I was reading through 1 Samuel, and this scripture popped out at me, and it says, which is better, sacrifice or obedience? I believe for this church, living way church, with Pastor John and Ashley at the head, my question is, Is which is better, sacrifice or obedience? There has been a lot of sacrifice in this church. I look around and I see people like Narda, who's played the piano for as long as I've been connected to this church, consistently, loyally. And she's served continuously, and she's been faithful to this church, and she's sacrificed both time, effort, and maybe even money into this church. I look at Pastor John and Ashley who's been here before I get in here. That's almost eight years. And they've sacrificed both their heart's cry and their prayer time and yearning for you guys. And I look around and I just see faces after faces who spent a lot of time and sacrifice here at this church. But I also look around and I see faces that are still asking the question, God, when is it my time? When is it going to break forth? When are you going to release the promises that you have for this church? When are you going to release the promises that you have for my life? And so I want to go on to verse 23 and connect this back to the beginning. 
Listen, verse 23 says, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. We can stop right there. Try to look up the word stubbornness, because this one hit my heart, and it's been messing with me all week, and I haven't, or last two weeks really, and I haven't really understood it in its entirety, but when I looked at the word stubbornness, it doesn't really directly translate into the Hebrew, but what it does translate into is hard-heartedness. Firm is another word that is used for it. Hard-heartedness. I believe that everybody in this room has heard at some point the voice of the Lord speaking to them, calling them, commanding them, asking them, pleading with them. The voice of the Lord yearning for that relationship. And there's a hard-heartedness that is keeping the sensitivity from being able to step into obedience. And it's keeping you in sacrifice. You're willing to do and, and spend time and sacrifice so that this church will strive and be alive. There's a hard-heartedness that keeps from that being in relationship with Jesus. Because, I don't know, I know this is true for me. Let's just put it that way. But when God speaks for the last three years, my heart is so hard. And there's so much fear of man. And there's so much fear of getting rid of everything I've worked so hard for so far. That I'm not sure I want to be obedient. I think I've shared the story again once, but I'll share it for again. I was in Colombia, and I was trying to step in to the calling that God had called me to be, the man He had called me to be, as Ephesians four, be worthy of the calling. You know, Ephesians four one. And I was trying to step in, and I was praying, and I was asking God, Lord, would You show me what to do? Would You show me? where my sin is, would you show me who you have called me to be and let me walk that way so that people who encounter me, they encounter you. And so I went to the college campus and I, we, have, we see a lot of blind people in Columbia. There's a lot of blind people. And I was like, Lord, I want to pray. I want to pray. You know, if you, if you never pray for a miracle, you're never going to see a miracle. And so if we start praying, we might actually see one, you know. And so I was like, okay, God, if that's true, then you got to help me. you got to give me the courage because I want to pray. I want to see miracles. I want to see you move like you did in the, in the New and the Old Testament. But I'm afraid. And so when I stepped on campus, I kid you not, literally I'm 10 feet through the door, and there's a group of blind people, about five or six of them just standing there. And I walked right past them, right past them. And I just kept my head down and I went to the class to learn Spanish. I tried to strike up some conversations to make up for the one I just missed. But I walked right past those guys and on the train ride home, I remember just praying and being so convicted because I had asked God to give me an opportunity. But I wasn't willing to take the step necessary to see God move in that opportunity. And I was probably... I was by a park that was right by my house and I heard God clearly say, He said, you were afraid to hear my voice because then you have to be responsible for whether or not you're obedient to it. And that has shifted this year for me. 
Because I felt like in that moment a spirit of conviction began to grow again in my heart. You see, I had gone to Wayland and studied the Bible and played football and been a part of really religious groups um, there as a religion major. And I had begun to think knowledge was more important than relationship. And I would begin to think that I didn't need to depend on God's Holy Spirit and power in my life because I knew Scripture. I could quote Scripture to people. And so when somebody came to me and they had a problem or they had an issue or an injury, I didn't need to ask God, what do you want to do here? I just quoted Scripture at them because I was a religion major. And I allowed my heart to become hard and callous. I allowed myself to become stubborn against the Holy Spirit. And when you're stubborn against the Holy Spirit, the next step, it's inevitable, is rebellion against the Holy Spirit. And if you've read the Old Testament, this is the issue with Israel. You stubborn and rebellious people, will you not repent, turn from your wicked ways and come back to me? You have abandoned the commands of the Lord, you stubborn and rebellious people. So therefore, you will be at war. Therefore, I will bring destruction upon you. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all over the Psalms and the minor and major prophets. That's the heart cry of Jeremiah. He sees that these people are stubborn and rebellious and he literally is heartbroken for them. Crying out to them, would you please quit being so stubborn? Your heart is so hard. God has a plan and a hope for you, a future But you have got to let him do it in your life. Otherwise, you'll never see it. Rebellion, it says in this verse, is like witchcraft. And stubbornness is like idolatry. I don't know about witchcraft, Harry Potter stuff. But I know about stubbornness. I know about sin, as in rebellion. Because when God speaks to me, I often find myself go into other things to distract me like Netflix or Facebook these are my go-to's I'm sitting there alone in my room and I feel the Holy Spirit tug on my heart and say it's time to spend some time and I open my phone and I just start scrolling like a zombie through Facebook not really looking for anything just trying to occupy my time so that I don't have to listen to the Lord because I'm busy now I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and I'm, I turn myself into the walking dead. Because I call it zombieing out where I want to just go home, flip on the TV and not have a care in the world and just forget what's happening around me and just invest myself into something else. Or I go on Facebook and I, I'm not having any function up here but I'm scrolling through. I'm zombieing out. I'm dead and more so my heart is beginning to get more calloused and more callous and it's shriveling up because in him are the words of life. In him is living water. When you go to him, he nourishes your soul. There's a reason that in the wilderness, God supplied manna for 40 days or 40 years. Every day, there was fresh manna out there. But if you read chapter 16 of Exodus, it didn't just come into their camp in a little ball of manna. It was like morning dew on the grass around their camps. They had to go out, collect it, make it into the manna bread, and then eat it. 
Every day that you wake up, God is still providing manna in your life. Every day, there's somebody out there hurting that God has said, this is going to be your manna. You're going to speak words of life into them, and by giving yourself to them, I will nourish you. Every day, there's a book on some of your shelves that's collecting dust. And there's manna in there to nourish you and keep you sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But we have distracted ourselves, we have allowed ourselves to become hard-hearted. And guys, I'm going to call it what it is. I don't think there's a rededication in the Bible. I think there's a repentance that needs to happen. We have so sinned against the Lord. Because we have allowed the enemy to come in, steal, kill, and destroy what he has meant for us. And God is yearning. He is crying out. It says in Second Chronicles 16, 9, I believe, that the Lord's eyes searches to and fro, looking to strengthen the heart who believes in him. I believe that God wants to pour out signs and wonders as like in heaven on earth. I believe God is dying, literally, on the cross in order to do so. I believe that he's calling out to those around, saying, please listen to my voice because there is people who are dying and they're hurting and they're lost and they're going to hell, but my church isn't listening. So who is it? Who will go for me? Please. And when we feel that call and God's saying, I want to use you, we go to Facebook or Netflix or something to distract us, work, our kids. Because we just are afraid to lose everything we've worked our whole lives for. We're afraid that if we actually do commit ourselves unto the Lord, He might call us to something we're not so sure we're willing to give up or to be somewhere we don't really want to be or to do something that's going to make us look like a fool. When I pray for Living Way Church, I don't know where that little piece of paper went, there it is. These are the things that God spoke to me over the last two months, but really specifically in the last two weeks. When Myrick was here, he made a statement. He says, I am standing here today because somebody was obedient to the Lord. And I can tell you right now, I'm standing here today because Tony and Janae Hanley were obedient to the Lord right here eight years ago. Somebody in the next ten years will be sitting in this church because one of you will be obedient to the Lord. And their life will be changed. But as I pray, I believe this is what God is saying to Living Way Church this morning, December 4th. He's saying, I want to release giftings. I want to release giftings in this room. I want you to walk in them. I want you to feel a freedom that you haven't felt in years. Those Prophetic words that have been spoken into your life. Those dreams and visions God has given you. Those promises you've made that He's made you and hasn't happened yet. God's saying, I haven't forgotten. And I challenge you to think, maybe it's because you've hardened your heart. And you've heard words like, it's just not the time for that yet. God's still doing things. He's prepared it in the future. Maybe it's for tomorrow. Maybe it's for today. You're just not willing to be obedient to get it. 
Do you ever think of that, church? Because this is what's happening in my life right now. I'm afraid to hear the voice of the Lord because then I'm responsible to be obedient to it. And if I'm not obedient to it, I fall into sin. I am rebelling against God. And what it takes to get out of rebellion is repentance. You have to turn and then become obedient. You can't keep trying to make sacrifices in your life over and over again to try to get you there. Or you can't turn to something else to get the gratification and get the life that you're looking for. Because it's not going to come until you step in the direction God's called you to step in. You will see freedom. You will see breakthrough. You will see joy. You will see life flow into your life. Because God is so over eager to do abundantly more than you could ask or even imagine. And he will break the chains off of you the moment you say, yes, Lord, here I am. Take me. Send me. Do whatever you want with my life. If you're afraid to die, guess what? It's the call of Jesus Christ anyways. He said, give up your life for my sake. Lay down. Pick up your own cross. If you're afraid to look like a fool... It's what you're meant to be. If you're afraid of people hating you, well, take heart. They hated him first. So much so they killed him. God is releasing this into Living Way Church, this rest of this year into the next year, but it has to come from an obedient heart of the congregation and the leadership. It has to. There can be no more excuses. There can be no more schedule conflicts. When God calls, you've got to answer. Otherwise, you will stay sitting in the place you're at right now. Your heart will stay calloused and it might even get worse. And I'm not trying to preach damnation on you guys. I'm just speaking truth here. Look at the American church. Why is it like that? Stubborn hearts and rebellious people. Sin. A disobedient nation to the Lord's commands. That's it. And here's the good news. Jesus came to fix that. You see that? Jesus has already made the way for your stubborn and rebellious heart. For my stubborn and rebellious heart. He has already... Let's go back to this verse. I want you to see something here. Let's go back to Matthew 13, 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy a field. Now, when you hear this scripture, you think it's you that's the man, don't you? You think it's you that's found the gospel. And you're supposed to give up your life for the sake of the gospel. Well, what about this? What if the man is Jesus who found you in a field, gave up his authority as God, limited himself into a being, and died on the cross to purchase you? What if he saw that much worth in you that whatever he worked for eternity to build, he'd given up in an instant because you're that valuable to him? It's the gospel. It's the beauty of Christ's love for us. While we were still sinners, still rebelling, still stubborn against Him, He loved us so much so that He would give up His eternal power and position and status in heaven to become born in a manger of a poor family. Be ridiculed, be beaten, be rejected, be laughed at in His own town. 
All because he knew he had found a treasure that was worth more than everything. And he found that treasure in you. And he sold everything and he bought you with a price. And it took his life to get there. And Jesus Christ saw so much value in you that he not only gave up his body, but he shed his blood to redeem you. Now listen, if Jesus came to defeat Satan when he died on the cross, I don't think it would have took that much. He could have came and just beat Satan like that. But the problem is, not that Satan or the enemy is attacking us, or not that Satan and the enemy is the one causing us to sin or causing us to fall into temptation. No. The problem is, is Mark chapter 7 says, the own evil sinfulness lies in your heart and my heart. Out of the heart of man comes lust, idolatry, wickedness, malice, anger, wrath. Mark chapter 7. And you see, he couldn't come and destroy you because he already did that once and he made a rainbow in the sky to promise that. And we're going to redeem that rainbow because we realize he didn't want to destroy us again. He wanted to redeem us. And so instead of getting rid of the old wicked heart, he says, you know what, I'm coming and I'm going to make them into a new creation. I'm going to die, take their place, and give them my righteousness. My question to you, church, do you want to walk in your giftings? Do you want to see signs and wonders? Do you want to know that when you wake up, you're living in the will of God for your life? I don't know what that looks like for everybody. For me, it's evangelism. That's what I hold. That's the gift I hold is I want to be able to wake up and know that I, at some point today, am going to stop somebody, break all sorts of social barriers, and ask them if they know who Jesus Christ is. Or I'm going to walk up to somebody on crutches, break social barriers, break political correctness, say, hey, what happened? Why are you limping? Not trying to be mean to you. I'm trying to help you. Let me pray for you. That's what God's calling me to. That's my next step. And until I start stepping in that and stay in that, I will not have joy. I will not have life. I will not be in the will of God. I'm not preaching works, guys. I'm preaching obedience. Because God is calling and He wants His children to answer. But many are called, few answer. Living Way Church, answer the call. It's going to take repentance first. Because in, in James chapter 4, verse 17 says to him who knows what is right and does not do it, it is sin. In the next chapter over in James it says, confess your sins. Confess them. If you want to walk in God's fullness for your life, you've got to eliminate the barrier with Jesus. You've got to go to him and in faith Ask him to take sin out of the picture. If you've never done that before, here's how it works. No matter how much sin you've done, Jesus covers it. No matter if you're like John Poe, who snaps at his brother yesterday, 
Jesus covers you. His grace is sufficient for you, for His power is made perfect in your weakness. Second Chronicles 12, 9. And He wants that relationship with you. And it's available to you who don't know Him this morning. That's the first people I'm asking. If you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ, you have that opportunity right now. The second is for every other person in this room. Because there's only two types. Lost and found. God is speaking to you. I don't know what it is for everyone. But I know He is. Because He's a faithful and good God. And He has a plan. I want you to take a moment and identify what that is. It could be you haven't opened your Bible in a while. I just want to talk. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Open your Bible. Let's chat. I got some good things to say. Could be, when's the last time you bent your knee in designated time, not driving to work, not listening to to some worship and throw up a random prayer, but when's the last time you designated some time, bent your knee, and prayed? They're simple You've heard them from every pastor. You want to grow closer to God. It's not a rocket science, guys. You've got to spend time with Him. Period. And when He says, this is what I have for our relationship, you submit. We're the bride, not the groom. Sorry, guys. Men, you're submitting too. That's it. That's the equation of Christianity lifestyle. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Take His hand. Let Him lead you. Today, I want to focus on... I want to do a couple of things as a, as a response to this. So if you could throw on some, some music. I just want to take some time, number one, for us to honor some people in this room. But not just much honor. I want us to encourage and rejuvenate and speak life. It's easy for a miner to find dirt. But the goal is to find gold. Okay? As a Christian, it's very easy to call out sin. But it's the most rewarding thing when you begin to call out gold in somebody's life. And that's what I want to take time to do. First, I want to honor the worship team. If you're in here and you're on the worship team, could you please just take a stand up? Now, congregants, if there's somebody standing around you, please lay hands on them. Get up, move, get around these people. Listen, the job of a worship team is to usher you in to the presence of God. They're the first thing that you get when you come into worship, and it's to get you into a place where you and God can commune. I'm asking you guys as a congregation to begin to pray life into them. To call out the gold on our worship team. To give thanks for the people who dedicate their time to leading us into the presence of God. We're going to take a little bit of time. And I want you to pray out loud. If you get a word of knowledge, take a risk. 
If you miss it, so what? Take a risk. Be bold with your giftings. If you feel something for somebody, go pray. Take a risk this morning, but pray for the worship team first. You can start. As they catch fire, let it spread to the whole congregation that we can learn again how to worship you. That we can soften our hearts again in worship towards you, God. I thank you for people who have that gift. Lord, and we call that gift forth. We call confidence in that gift forth, Lord. Boldness. We speak against the enemy and the fear of man. And the fear of failure and the fear of inadequacy. Lord, we thank you for worshipers. We ask that you would teach us how to worship in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're not done. The next group, don't forget, Dan is part of the worship team. And he spends just as much time. And so when I pray for a heart cry, it's for you as well, sir. The second group I want to pray for, and they're not here. One's handling our children right now. Is Shane and Katie Beecham. They have stepped into a role because they saw the need in this church. And they have spoken the truth of the gospel to our students for I don't know how many years. And Jake and Sharon stepped in there for a while as well. And I want us just to take a few minutes right now to lift up some prayers for them to bless them, to honor them, to anoint them with a new anointing, to release giftings that maybe they don't even have, but that God could give, and boldness to be faithful to the ministry that they have right now. So if you guys could just begin to pray for Shane and Katie Beecham. Prophecy, or if you have a gift to receive words of knowledge or of healing or something like that, take a risk. Run with it. Shane and Katie. Lord, for their servant's heart, God, would you just bless them overly and abundantly, more than they can even ask or imagine, because they have given themselves to something that they believe in, students. They see the future in their eyes. They see the promise and the calling and the anointing in these students. God, and ask that you would bless them with the ability to call forth those giftings, to call forth the gold in those students, Lord. That they would help facilitate an atmosphere where they can not only hear the word of God, but practice and participate in what you're doing, Lord. That they can put to practice what they teach. Father, thank you that there are people willing to step in and see value in students like Shane and Katie. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're still not done. Pastor John, Ashley, can you guys come stand up here? I'm going to put you on the spot. Can I have the elders?
of the church come and lay hands on our pastors, please? Or if you have volunteered, you know, if you've been in this church a long time and you want to lay hands on them, or if you have a gift to pray for people, gift to anoint people, gift to prophesy over people, come and lay your hands on them right now. I don't know about you guys, but these two people are very special to me because they have always believed in me and they have always exemplified what it means to call out gold in my life. I remember one time we went to the movies and I texted Ashley and I said, hey, they forgot to tear my ticket. If you want to come check out the movie with the youth group, I got an extra ticket. And she convicted me right then and there. John, is that right to cheat the theater and I've never forgotten that because it taught me integrity right then in that moment to be honest she taught me that over a text message because she is holds herself to that standard of integrity I remember another time I was at Wayland and I was struggling with some theology things and I called John I was like this doesn't make sense to me man And I'm not kidding, it was so big that it did not make sense. And so I was reconsidering my life in Christ. I don't know if he realized that, but he talked me off the ledge, so to speak, by just giving me some simple truths. And I've so appreciated these people in my life for the friendship, for the love, unconditional. And I know that every time I walk in that door, I'm accepted here, and if I want, they give me an opportunity to preach here. I am free in this place because of them. And every time I preach, I feel free because of these two people right here. I want us to honor them because they deserve it. And they have been striving week after week. To help you in your relationship to God. To help you accomplish what God has called for you to do. That's their whole goal. It's not to do ministry. It's to equip you for ministry. You're the ministers. They're the servants. And they serve the ministers, the congregation. And so, begin to pray for these people. Elders, you guys hold a very important office. You didn't get it because you've been here longer. You get it because you've talked with him longer. And so I just ask that you would help us as a congregation learn how to speak with God and talk with God. And would you pray that anointing on our pastors? You guys begin to pray for John and Ashley, please. Father, we just ask. I was praying for you guys coming up into this. I knew I was going to do it. And I remembered Ashley's sermon about the camps of fire. And I just felt God say that that's you. You two guys. That that fire that's going to release all through the church starts right here in your home. Starts right here in your relationship and in your own heart with Jesus. And He's going to release fire in an apostle-type ministry where you will begin to see visions and dreams. Where you begin to see the heavenlies and how it works and you will understand what God is doing in the supernatural. 
And that fire will catch in you and you'll begin to teach how to follow and how to be obedient and how to ignite that flame in people. Because you have served for longer than I've known this church. And God has made you promises that he plans to keep. Take those promises, run after them. He has not forgotten Living Way. He has not forgotten John and Ashley on the day-to-day activities and the where that being pastors can be. He has not forgotten the sacrifice and he has not forgotten the obedience to the call and how you live worthy of that call. And he is blessing you and he's releasing gifts and it's going to come to you first because you're the pastor's. Still not done. Isn't that good? That leaves the congregation. It leaves the true ministers of the gospel. The ones who encounter the world. The ones who see the hurting. Two people can't reach as much as a hundred. Again, God is calling you, congregation, living way, to step in to your call. Right now, I want to take some time for repentance. What is it that you're have hardened your heart for that's caused you to be afraid or caused you to not want what God has for you sometimes. We have to repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God wants to open up the floodgates and he's looking for a church, for people, for a body of people who follow Jesus to do that through. Take some time for just some silent prayer. For you to confess. If you need to pray with somebody, I'm up here. that you would bring a spirit of conviction in our lives. Lord, you allow the word to come in sharper than any two-edged sword and pierce our hearts again, Father. Would you open us up, make us sensitive to your presence, sensitive to your voice, and sensitive to when we sin. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way with us? Literally, whatever it looks like. Whatever the first step is, Lord, would you give us the boldness and the confidence to make it? And once we accomplish that, would you give us the boldness to take the next one? And the power and the joy to take the next one. And the next one. And the next one. And God, would you lift our heads at some point and show us all that you're accomplishing through our obedience.
Lord, I pray for Living Way Church right now, God, and I ask that you would release the giftings that sit in this room, that you would release the hearts into obedience, that you would release power in this place, God. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. We give you glory this morning. And we say we're sorry this morning. And if this afternoon, the moment we walk out, you ask us to do something, Lord, let us take the risk. Be bold enough to do it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.